here at Southern Galleria. This new church plant. I want to say of ours, of the Lord's. It's just been such a, every week just gets better and better as we know each other more intimately as Jeremiah touched on. As, as you become more and more to me, as you feel more and more like the family that you are because of Christ. Uh, I tell you, I really need this this morning. I need it every week. Uh, I think often they mentioned about last week. Um, is he angry? But I really feel how much I need it this week. Uh, there's hardly a place I'd rather be than right here, maybe barring a, a mountain, a mountaintop above the timber line with the wind screeching in my face. Um, aside from that, here's where I'm at. Right. <laughs> um, I'm in some sort of mood this morning. We're we're uh, we're in a good place, but a low place this morning. It's funny how God will often. End up to preach and teach will bring you to the place of uh, identifying the text you're preaching. I started off the week. Uh, this is a this is a prayer of Jonah that looks really nice until you start to look at it a little more closely with the magnifying glass and uh, and study it. It's actually kind of a bit of a nasty prayer. It's another selfish, which kind of like a lot of my prayers. Um, and we'll get into that. But I, I started the week sort of. Criti- criticizing Jonah, arm across, you know, brow furrowed. Uh, God brought me to a place where I'm identifying with him, which is a better place to be. So I just say all that to try to model for you, just to be real, but to model for you sort of what I try to say every week, which is coming to you So how dare I get up here and, and try to be anything other than where I am right now. Um, and so I pray that you could come to this place with me, with Jonah, and just get low with us and enter into the belly of the fish, as it were, and maybe we can can hear from God together. Um, So I'm not sure uh, what's going to come out. I don't really feel much like following the manuscript this morning, so we'll see. But just bear with me. Keep your eyes and your ears now are open. So this is a series, I think it's the the third sermon in a series on Jonah and uh, God's heart for the nations. This really selfish, rebellious prophet um, who just bears all. We learn all about his foibles and sins and his running from God, which is pretty amazing, the honesty of God's word and how God works through sin and evil and disobedience. And he certainly does that through Jonah. But we've looked so far at Jonah in chapter 1 just running from God's call to go to the, the enemies of Israel, to go east. And as soon as God says, Jonah, get up and go east and preach my word to these people that you Bless you. Um, God, it says, the text is, it's a, it's a grave, serious text about this disobedient prophet and about God's heart for everyone. And yet there's a lot of humor mixed in. It's kind of, it's a satire of sorts. And so it says, Jonah, Jonah got up, when you're reading along, but Jonah got up and expect, and he went to Nineveh. It says that he went west instead of east. So he runs from God. And God basically uh, swallows him up in the sea. And chases him with a great storm. He's thrown by his sailors into the ocean, into the, into the Mediterranean, and swallowed again after being swallowed by the ocean, which should be instant death, by great fish, which should be death, part two. But God uses both of those things to save both the sailors and Jonah. So that's where we find ourselves this morning. Um, I just finished a most excellent book called The Solace of Fierce Landscapes, which is probably some of the reasons that I'd like to be on a mountain with a screeching, a screeching game on my face this morning. 
Uh, really, really good book. An early section is called Grace is a Harsh and Dreadful Thing. In it, Lane, Belden Lane, the author, writes, First, it forces us to admit that grace rarely comes with a gentle invitation to change. More often than not, it appears in the form of an assault, something we first are tempted to flee. God's grace comes sometimes like a kick in the teeth, leaving us broken, wholly unable any longer to deny our need. I think it's Lewis who talks, I know it's Lewis, who talks about um, God bringing pain into our lives, and suffering, and loss, and privation. <coughs> As a sort of megaphone, he says, I think the line is to rouse a dead world. It rouses us because our default is just to drift into, as long as things are easy, to sort of drift into a self-centeredness and a malaise and a, and a running from God, even if it's just ignoring him. That's still, that's still running from him. So, it's, you know, so much of this sermon, so much of this text is really about how God uses, how God has us swallowed up, how he appoints things to swallow us up because he loves us as an expression of his love for us. It feels like a kick in the teeth. It sure does. But it's God saying, I love you. Come to me. Come see my heart for you. Come see my heart for the nations. Having descended to the coast, into the ship's hold, into the sea, and now to the very roots of the mountains in the belly of this huge fish, Jonah has hit rock bottom. And the message of this text is that rock bottom, the lowest place, is a good place to be. So the fish, the deep, and the love of God. I don't know if we'll hit all these points or any more words, but the fish, the deep, and the love of God in this prayer of Jonah. Um, the first thing is the fish. The fish both begins and ends. This, this section, this prayer. It's a distinct section in this, in this really short book. Um, verse 117 and 210, it frames the whole prayer. And God appoints this fish, it says. It doesn't say a fish comes. It could have said, the author could have said, a fish comes along and swallows John. It doesn't say that. It says, God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. And it ordered that fish, 210, just to vomit him, is the word. To vomit him up on the dry land. So God appoints this fish. Normally, as I said, a fish swallowing the whole in the ocean depths is just plain horrible. Um, the text tells us that God appointed it. It's not an accident, it's choreographed. One commentator says the length of the coda, is an academic word, in 116 is just enough to suggest that Jonah was surely dead by this time. I hadn't noticed that when I first pen read through. Because it says that they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Jonah flees from God, and God hurls a storm against him to, to chase him down in his disobedience. <coughs> and then the same word is used, like, hurl Jonah, consequently, into the sea, so that the sea will quiet, because God is after Jonah, and the sea quiets. So then that's the last thing you heard, and then verse 16 kind of builds a suspense. It doesn't say, hey, Jonah's okay, though, don't worry. It doesn't say that. The next verse, after he got tossed, is, then the men feared the Lord. So you're just thinking, oh, Jonah's dead. You see, we know in the story, but that's that's a shame. And so we're sitting here thinking, he's gone, but no. Um, it's just enough to suggest that Jonah was surely dead, his body entombed in the deep sea, but he's not died at all. A fish swallowed him. And the fish did not swallow him in order to eat him, but to shelter him, because that's the only way he was able to stay alive, he was able to breathe the air in that pocket, that vacuum in the deeps. The wording of the first sentence is precise. Yahweh's in control. The fish simply does what it is told. 
every movement of every fish in the ocean God controls. I remember being out sitting in the nose, so just get ready. This morning it's, it's just going to be, you know. Um, Robin, it, her parents are sort of from Maui, and so we have to go there every once in a while to check up on the family. It's really rough. <laughs> First time there, 2008, a couple years after we got married, that her, her uncle's a deep sea fisherman, and I was out on his boat, and he's, uh, he's a pagan sailor. There it is. He's a pagan sailor. And he was waxing poetic about this and that and the other chance in the seas, and, and he was just having a tough time catching anything the whole time he'd been there. Two weeks, he had to talk a single thing and take party light every day and go through a little dry spell. And so I said, Terry, I'm going to pray for you. I'm afraid to catch a fish when I get on the boat. This is, this is our day again. Let's go. God's going to control everything in the sea. So anyway, I prayed. <laughs> sure enough, caught, caught this beautiful, I think it was an ono. And we had, you know, I didn't realize it's been deep sea fishing. Most people don't keep their fish. They're at a hotel. They can't keep a 80 pound fish. They don't have a pretty big mini fridge. It's not going <laughs> to work. That you can, but and, and know that if you're going to be fishing, they might not offer it to you. It's your fish. You pay for it. If you want to take it, by gosh, you take it. But he usually ends up with most of the catch, and so he'll take the catch. We took the catch to a restaurant, and the restaurant takes half, and, and, and they take the other half and just serve it up for like eight platters of Uno on the on the beach there in Hawaii. It's a big Amazing. But all I have to say, um, as soon as that line caught, I was preaching to him, you know, like, Terry, see, I've been praying, God, he orders every fish in the sea, every fish, and he's like, you know, sometimes, his first words out of his mouth, like, sometimes you get lucky. <laughs> oh! <laughs> That's why I wasn't in the notes, because I thought I might actually scratch it out. It's not directly appropriate, but it's almost too close to be germane, but the idea is, is clearly enough enunciated in the text, which is God is in control of every fish that's supposed to sleep. Every bit of suffering that comes to your mind, everything that swallows you, God not only allows He wants, He ordains. He's not the author of evil, but He uses it for the good of those who love Him. And are called according to His purpose. If He simply allowed it and tried to manage evil, and that's it, and didn't ordain it and control it, we would have very little hope in this world, this broken and shattered world, full of suffering inside and out. Suffering wouldn't be God's tool that he could use how he will for his glory and for our good it is. So we need to take, and I pray that we take, even this morning, even perhaps if you're in the belly of the fish now, you take a lot of comfort and encouragement from that word. It is a true word, it is a word in this text. Um, sometimes we are saved by the things that swallow us. Sometimes we're saved by the things that swallow us. The things that God points and doesn't just allow <clears throat> to swallow us, He often uses to save us, to refine us, to turn us from our flight to Him as, as He turns gentle, to make us more like Him. The, Go old school on the Westminster Confession of Faith, the 17th century British document. It says that God foreordains whatsoever comes to pass. And he does. So it gave Jonah life, it saved him, and it gave him 
a second chance to obey, as we'll see next week. First, chapter 3, verse 1 is almost an exact mirror of 1 1, the beginning of the book. So, chapter 3 mirrors chapter 1, and chapter 4 mirrors chapter 2. So, the only other time Jonah prays, other than here in chapter 2, is in chapter 4. Um, so, those even prayers are set sort of against each other. So, that's the fish. Let's look at the deep briefly. Um, and Jonah prayed, verse 2, to Yahweh his God in the belly of the fish. So notice that Jonah doesn't pray to now. He's just running. He's just running from God. But man, when things get bad, when we get swallowed, and when Jonah gets swallowed, what does he do? He turns to God. And he cries out to God and prays. So God will use that. He does in Jonah's, in Jonah's case. In my distress, I called from my distress, rather, verse 3, to Yahweh. A quote from Lewis, of course, it's a compulsion, I have to, from the problem of pain. Um, you know, this deep is often the only place that we will turn to God. It's mentioned in verse 2, and the second part of verse 4, and the first part of verse 7. Um, where he says, I cried out in my distress. Um, I said, I've driven away from your sight, I will look again on you. And then when I was fainting away, what I remembered you. When I was fainting away, I was about to die. Then I remembered you. Lewis says this. He says, I'm progressing along the path of life in my ordinary, contentedly fallen and godless condition, absorbed in a merry meeting with my friends for the morrow or a bit of work that tickles my vanity today, a holiday or a new book, when suddenly a stab of abdominal pain that threatens serious disease, or a headline in the newspapers or a lost job, or a lost something else, or a rebellious child, that was to me, that threatens us all with destruction, sends this whole pack of cards tumbling down. At first I'm overwhelmed, and all my little happinesses look like broken toys. Then, slowly and reluctantly, bit by bit, I try to bring myself into the frame of mind that I should be in at all times. See, the place that Jonah is now, this low place, it's a good place because it's where we ought to be, always, but we're not. I remind myself that these toys were never intended to possess my heart, that my true good is in another world, and my only real treasure is Christ. Perhaps by God's grace I succeed, and for a day or two become a creature, consciously dependent on God, and drawing its strength from the right sources. But the moment the threat is withdrawn, my whole nature leaps back to the toys. Here's the great line. I am even anxious, God forgive me, to banish from my mind the only thing that supported me, under the threat, because it's now associated with the misery of those few days. If I were God and my creation treated me this way, I certainly would not answer when they came calling. Like a kid who just always calls for money. Or to get out of the pinch. I'm, after a while, you know, hey, because you're my kid, actually, if I'm being honest, I'm always going to love you. That's the way God is. It's the way God is. Thank God that I'm not God. Thank God that He is. He is a God full of compassion and mercy, and He answers Jonah. One commentator says this. He says, Both the inner part of the Tarshish bound ship and the belly of the fish give Jonah the same false, death like security. Uh, he seeks death with the sailors, seeking to escape his call to them, and seeks it again at the book's end. The prayer begins I cried. Precisely the same action that Jonah had been commanded by both Yahweh and the captain to carry out against Nineveh and in behalf of the ship. 
Here it is. Having refused to cry out to save the others, he changes his tune when he himself faces the prospect of violent death. And I just want to say, kind of pull up here and just pause and just say, this is really, I may skip over some of the detail that is in the text here, but really, the text marks a lot of evidence to show us a prayer that sounds nice and pious. He talks about the temple, about God, and about false worshipers. But it's very self-centered. He never mentions uh, his call and running from his call. There's no repentance. There's no, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry for running away from your word. I'm sorry for totally disobeying you. I'm sorry for putting, for jeopardizing the lives of the sailors. I mean, for all he knows, the sailors are gone too. They're, he doesn't know. He just got submerged and the storm is still raging. Um, there's talk of it's very Israel-centric, it's very ego-centric. I cry to the Lord that he heard me. There's talk of the temple, which is there's nothing more Jerusalem, more Israel-centered than that. Yet he is thinking of God, which is good. He is turning his gaze from himself up to God. He's mentioning God for the first time in the book. Um, but the only mention of, of others, of, of those who don't know God, is in verse 8. Um, and it says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Um, so he's basically saying, like, look, I, I know the temple. I'm going back there. Um, it's essentially which he's not even saying, hey, I'll go to Nineveh now. There's, that's nowhere in the text. That was his original call. It's like, I'm going to head back. He's kind of seeing this, as the commentator said, suggested, I think, as a sort of another preserve, another shelter, just like he was seeing the ship. It's Maybe I'm going to get out of the call just because I'm in this mission of my life to save. And he mentions pagans, but only insofar as they worship false gods. So the prayer is pretty terrible, actually. And kind of arms crossed as a critic, first part of the week, I was like, darn you, Jonah. But as the week has progressed, and as it's gotten closer and closer to preaching time, the Lord has done some work on me, and I've seen what a grace it is to have a prayer like this in the Bible. God answers. God saves this man. Because so much of my life and my prayers like this. And one of the big takeaways for us, friends, is God meets us where we are. He doesn't swallow us and expect us to be perfect. He, he pursues us in his love and often brings pain into our lives. And then he hears these kind of prayers from us, egocentric to the max. And he doesn't turn his face, he doesn't turn away. He hears, just as Jonah said. And that's a good thing. Thank God, because otherwise I wouldn't have any hope. Because this is me, self-centered, thankful when God saves me, but not really caring about the rest of the world. I can go to hell in a handbasket. Really focused on myself. Um, and you know, when we come to God when He's our last resort, when we have no other option, Lewis, again back to him, calls this the divine humility. Um, that God would actually turn to us. But that's, I mean, thank God that He does. Thank God that it does. And I, I just want to encourage you, I think this text is an encouragement just to pray. Not to wait until we have the perfect prayer and the perfect selfless prayer. It's not going to come. Just cry out to God where you are. Where you are. Feldman Lane, again, Solace of Pierce Landscapes, he writes this. The road to paradise always begins with tears. 
quoting Flannery O'Connor, who died at the age of 39 of lupus. She's an American writer in the middle of last century. Sickness is more instructive than, than a long trip to Europe. And again, sickness before death is a very appropriate thing. And I think those who don't have it miss one of God's mercies. Joe's not sick, but he's basically dead. He's alive, but he should be dead in the place of death. It's been brought to him. I think that's a good object of her point from the east, from that place of, of death, from that place of loneliness that God will bring us to because he loves us. And here's us from. Why does he hear us? Johnny gives us a clue in his prayer. The love of God. If you look at this verse, I really think I think two eight is the culmination point, the pinnacle of this prayer. It's a beautiful, curious line. It says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And then he says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Um, and he's talking about others. Um, and for all he knows, you know, he got dropped in the ocean by these pagan sailors. Um, but what happens after he's in the deep? Sacrifice. 
which ultimately is his son Jesus Christ. And it's basically saying that that's offered to all people. And when we run from him, we run from that. We forsake that steadfast love. And so it's showing us God's heart through this selfish prayer of Jonah. Um, and what it's reminding us of is that in the end, God's not after, in the end, marking our repentance even. He's not after us following the rules. What he made us for is his steadfast love, to bring us into relationship and to experience his love and the love of the That's what he created us for. Um, you know, there's this mention at the beginning of the prayer, actually right before the prayer starts, it says 117, if you have your Bible. It says, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, why does it say that? Well, um, articles have been written, research has been done that have pretty conclusively shown that in the ancient Near East, in this setting, um, three days and three nights was the time that it took to reach the underworld. To reach Hades, Sheol, Shades, Hell. Um, and God has taken Jonah down only to bring him back up, right? Um, and that is a good good place to be. Um, because then we would often turn to him. But um, it's basically taking Jonah down to death. And through this death, Jonah's given a new, ch a new chance at life and a recommission. Well, Jonah lives. And this guy that prays this pretty selfish prayer that is run from God lives. He's given a second chance. And how is that the case? Well, it's, it's the case because you know, 800 and 750 years later, um, we get to the book of Matthew, after 400 years of prophetic silence, we see that all the scriptures have been pointing us toward this man, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who was born a child, grew up to be a man, and actually compares himself to Jonah. And he says, just as Jonah was in the, in the, uh, the belly of the fish, three days and three nights, so um, will the Son of Man be in the earth three days. And um, Jonah was brought down into a death-like place because of his disobedience to save him. And it was saved through that. How? how? How are we able to experience the kindness of God through our rebellion? That's the question of this book and of this text. How does God show his love, not only for all the nations, but for this place named Jonah? How does he love us like this? How is he able, this loving God who's also just, and has to, he can't just ignore our sin. How, how is he able to punish our sin and to, to love us and to draw us to himself through our rebellion, and through our running, through our fleeing, and through our selfishness? He's able because Christ was thrown into, as I mentioned last week, the seed of God's wrath poured out against sinners, all who would trust him. He was swallowed by the earth in death. And it was used, and when Jonah was swallowed, it was used to save him. But when Christ was swallowed, it was used to save us. He wasn't saved, rather, he was damned, as we deserve to be. He was damned, and he was consumed, not saved, by the wrath of God against sin, the just and inflexible wrath of Almighty God. And Christ's 
payment was for Jonah as much as it is for us, for any who look to him, for any who come to him. It was retroactive as well as being active for those present and those future. Um, and that's why we can read a book like this and identify with Jonah and take a lot of hope. Um, because the one that's greater than Jonah has come and was truly swallowed and wasn't saved. He was abandoned, even by his father. So that we could be spit back up, as it were, onto the sand and recommission and loved dearly by God and go like Jonah did to proclaim to the nations that God is a God of salvation, that God is a God of compassion. If you're in a low place this morning, uh, as I am, God loves you. He's pursuing you. You might not be suffering for your sins. You might be. Um, God's in control of it all. He's not the author of sin anymore, but he has foreordained what's ever come to pass, which means that he can and he is using it to love you and to do things in you if you let him. You cry out in distress to him, which I did. You be comforted by this text, I pray that you will be. Um, you know that in his son Jesus Christ, he's taking care of all the big stuff for you. And that's his expression of love for you in this time of loneliness. If you're not in a low place, um, as I said this morning to our crew that is serving and doesn't get to be here this morning, uh, you will be soon. You were recently, perhaps, or you will be soon enough because you live in a broken world. Um, and it's just bound to happen. But just to know that God is present and working and good and full of compassion in those moments. And often, again, that lowest place is the best place to be. And if we can, with our imagination and with our faith, preach ourselves to that place existentially, even when we're riding on heights, even when things are going well, and remind ourselves that, Lord, search my heart to see if there's any evil way in me. Remind me what you did for me. And in that, in that, in that reminder, humble me, bring me emotionally to a low place so that I can live out of heart of wisdom to you. I know that this morning was a bit garbled, a bit different, a bit confusing, it was for me too. But, just as God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah, and then told that fish to vomit Jonah up, and he obeyed and vomited Jonah up. And that word, by the way, kind of is an ambiguous word that kind of seems to mean that the fish was being, he was disgusted with having Jonah in his belly. So, get out of here. So, even if God is disgusted with you and your sin, I don't think he likes Jonah very much right now. That's sort of what that word conveys. He loves you. I almost like my kids. You kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come hang out with us for a week, a day. <laughs> But I love them. They're not always like them, but, and they're not always lovable. But I love them. That's the way it works. That's the way God is with us. And we can be loved by our Father and be brought back into His good graces because Christ actually descended to death and death. He actually did that for us. So, whatever's going on in your life, take heart. Take heart. And cry out to God for distress and to you. Father, thank you for 
the ability to come with family and to just worship. Worship as I pour my heart out and as we hear you speak your word and you allow us to sing together and praise you and to cry out and distress to you and, and worship and thanksgiving and all sorts of all sorts of things, the family emotions and circumstances that you bring us through in this life. We thank you, as Chris said earlier, for making us a people, Jeremiah too, um, for making us a people that can share these things together and that have great hope amidst the vicissitudes uh, of life. We love you. Thank you for Jesus.